A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Hurlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP and Field CDO at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading contributor to Trino, the open source project, and the Data Mesh for Dummies book that I co-wrote with Colleen Tarto and Andy Mott. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. FYI, we covered a lot. So this is quite a long bottom line up front. Just to let you know ahead of time, it's about 10 minutes. Building your early data mesh platform and data product capabilities. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Manisha Jane, data engineer at ThoughtWorks. Here's some key takeaways or thoughts from Manisha's point of view. Number one, Manisha's top three pieces of early data mesh advice. A, Put together a specification of what a data product is. Make it clear. Your definition will evolve and improve. But if people don't understand the building blocks, it's going to be hard to build value. B, start to create standardized input and output ports because that is how data products, your units of value, actually exchange their value. It's how they you know, bring in data. It's how they exchange it to other data products, or to people directly consuming. Standardize those, make those easy for people. And C, make it easier to discover your important SLOs, your service level objectives, to create trust. Partner with consumers to serve what they actually need. Number two, when working with your first domain, it's crucially important to make sure they have strong data engineering talent whether that is existing people inside the domain or someone embedded into the team. That way, someone inside the team building the data product can better interact with the platform team to communicate the basic needs at the infrastructure level. This isn't as necessary for later domains. You know, the platform already exists. Number three, both the platform and product teams need to really understand and align on responsibilities and necessary capabilities. 
That will help you streamline your developer experience, which is crucial to scaling data mesh. Number four, people very often confuse data and data product. You should look to get crisp on what a data product means internally. Scott note, we still don't have a simple on paper explanation of a data product you can put in front of a team of non-data folks. You know, there's all the aspects that Jamak says, this is what everything should have, but it's easy to say this is the boundaries around what you should do, but it's still not what it is. And people still struggle with that a lot. Number five, it's crucial to understand how data mesh can align with how your organization thinks and works. That will make it far easier to drive buy-in. Quote, only when you're comfortable with that concept will it make it make sense to go ahead and explore more. Number six, the platform team needs to focus on delivering capabilities to domains, not technologies. This comes up a lot. But they also need to think about mesh level capabilities, such as supervision capabilities. Think about what capabilities are needed when. Don't boil the ocean. Maybe certain use cases are too difficult to tackle right now. Scott note here, this is the mark of a good organizational approach. When you can say we aren't ready yet and it's okay, we're not ready for that specific use case. Number seven, it's important to remember that the data platform is there to make it easier to create, deploy, manage, and manage slash evolve data products. Use that as a guide when deciding what the platform should offer and when. Number eight, potentially controversial. Boundaries around data products and data product teams are more important than most realize. We really do need teams to be able to act independently and not deal with the hassles of shared infrastructure. Scott note here, I know people get worried about cost of shared infrastructure, but time to market of information matters too as well as time spent dealing with untying infrastructure knots by the platform team. It is a balance at a very high scale with a lot, lot of data products. It can become very costly if you don't keep an eye on it, but you should be really thinking about, do we need uh, to leverage shared infrastructure? If we don't, it makes things far easier. Number nine, Consider doing a series of workshops with a small group closely aligned to each domain to drive understanding and alignment. Don't try to do all the domains at once. Each has a different set of needs and capabilities. This comes up in a lot of conversations. The people that are struggling with their data mesh implementations have tried to rush to work with every domain. Number 10, the lean value tree is an effective method to break down what you you are trying to accomplish into actionable pieces of work with explicit assumptions. You state the bets you are making, the hypotheses you are testing, etc. So people are on the same page. Number 11, when you start working with a domain in data mesh, really drive down to specifics. Don't just identify a use case and maybe the necessary data products. What skills and toolings are necessary to create and maintain those data products? What would a team look like to own those data products? How are you going to pull, put all of that together? Number 12, doing data mesh, every new domain is different. So the onboarding plan for each incremental domain will have to be adjusted. 
you know, uh, Amara Gafoor talked about this as well, where they thought that they were going to have this one onboarding plan for every domain. And it, it lasted until they worked with the first domain and then they adjusted it and went, okay, we've got it. And then that lasted until the second domain. <laughs> that doesn't mean everything starts from scratch though, but you need to assess gaps in each domain's capabilities to figure out how best to enable that domain. Number 13, to understand what capabilities domains need, the platform team needs to have strong communication and partner with the domain teams to build what they need, what helps them get the job done, not build the coolest platform. Number 14, the platform team should focus on addressing three questions in the initial build. A, how do users create value? B, how can we ensure users trust the data? And C, how do you make data products usable and discoverable? Number 15, your platform team probably won't recognize what all will be reusable components until they've brought multiple domains onto the platform. And that's okay. Just keep an eye out for stuff. Number 16, potentially controversial here. Most aspects of concepting and then building slash deploying a data product are reusable. The data modeling and data transformations are the things that are very specifically unique to each and every data product. Scott, note why I think that's somewhat controversial is that a lot of people are saying you can throw out a lot of the things because it's not reusable. And a lot of people are trying to say that the data modeling should be relatively reusable. But Manisha is saying really to get to something of value, you need to really specifically model that those data products individually. Number 17, interoperability standards won't happen magically, but you can do more custom mapping between data products very early in your journey to get use cases out. Start to look for places to create simple standards used to integrate data products. Number 18, potentially controversial one, offering automated model modeling or sample data models is a double-edged sword. They can be helpful to get teams to something passable, but it's rarely going to create a good data product without more work anyway. Basically, at best, it's an outline, but shouldn't be published like it's it's the article, right? It's not that you go, okay, it's not the chat GPT article where you go, I'm going to have chat GPT write my article. Number 19, look to build to the thinnest lights that delivers good value. Don't get ahead of yourself. But don't try to get by ignoring one of the data mesh principles. This is where people keep saying thin slice, thin slice, right? I know it's a ThoughtWorks thing that everybody from there says it, but the people that you actually talk to that are having a lot of success didn't ignore one of the the principles of data mesh. Number 20, as you build data products in a domain, you will learn more and more about that domain, which will lead to enhancing slash evolving the data products you do have, and potentially creating new ones as use cases emerge. It's important to stay curious and be prepared to share new insights via data. Finally, number 21, potentially controversial one, data people have to really learn to speak in the language of the business. Otherwise, we will continue to talk past each other instead of learning and iterating together towards value. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode.
Very, very excited for today's episode. I've got Manisha Jain here, who's a data engineer at ThoughtWorks, and she's been working on um, you know, a, a couple of different uh, data mesh implementations. So really excited to kind of get into the experience that she's gained, and, and her name was actually brought up by multiple people throughout ThoughtWorks who said, this is somebody you should talk to. So I'm excited about this. And we're going to be talking about a lot of different things, but we're going to start with kind of how do you onboard new teams to data mesh? This has been something where a lot of people are trying to figure out, like, how do I actually bring on the new teams, especially the kind of not as data fluid teams, if we want to be politically correct about how we say that. And we're going to talk about streamlining the data product developer experience. You know, we had a panel recently on data user experience. This is really, really crucial because if the the developer experience sucks, then you're going to have way more pushback than you should. Right. And then we're going to talk about just kind of in general, the lessons learned from bootstrapping a platform. Like how do you get started with a platform? How do you keep going? And the and wrapping into all of that, the, the data product lifecycle, because, uh, you know, one thing, especially reading uh, Max's book again, is that the amount of times you have to think about that this is a life cycle and that this isn't a a project that I've put into production. It's an actual product and what that means and have, how you evolve it and how you really think about that is really important. So, but before we get to that, um, I would love to hear a little bit about your background and then we can jump into the conversation at hand. Hello, everyone. Uh, Manisha Jain from ThoughtWorks. Like Scott said, I've been with ThoughtWorks for a couple of years now. I started my journey into data, uh, say, a few years ago. And currently, a lot of my focus has been with consulting clients on their data mesh journey. So I'm here to talk more about it. Uh, Glad to be here, Scott. Awesome. Glad to have you. And so um, let's start about that, talking about that onboarding teams, right? When you're starting to bring on your first couple of teams, a big part of this is learning, right? Like, how, how are we actually going to do this with everybody else? So let's talk about, like, how do you keep an eye out for what's going to be reusable? What What is bad right now and we're going to fix? What, what should we focus on for that kind of automation? And what's the toil and what's the kind of unavoidable, unavoidable toil of, like, learning how to do data versus, like, hey, we can create these blueprints? So, like, how do you keep an eye out for that? I'll start with... Um... A a journey. Um, Say you are part of an organization who wants to go towards data mesh, right? And domains are a natural uh, outcome of operational world, right? Uh, They are very easy to understand. Uh, Finance, manufacturing, retail, right? They're all there naturally, right? Pick one domain, right? And then uh, do a small exercise with the folks who are very close to the domain right? Get the business users, get the IT, right? And form a small group, a very focused group and do uh, like spend a dedicated time with them. Um, And we have to go through a couple of things here before we really get started. Point number one being uh, getting on the same page of when we talk about data mesh, what it means and how it aligns with what the organization thinks it means. Most of the time, they're similar, just that we don't know that it is the same thing, right? So this alignment is really, really important. It is to make uh, the folks who are part of this journey very comfortable saying, yes, this is what even we think should happen. Just that data mesh make gives it a more structural approach to it, 
right so uh, we do uh, a work, series of workshops uh, the first being uh, accelerate right this is where uh, we bring in teams uh, who are close to domains and walk them through the data mesh introduction principles and ask them if they really understood it right keep it more interactive and give them examples discuss their business scenarios and uh, try to really relate and get that concept synced in right because only when they're comfortable with that concept is where it will make sense to go ahead and explore more uh, within it yeah i think that makes a lot of sense when you're you're kind of i mean do you do you do that with every domain then every incremental domain or are you doing that it's only so it's not just the first it's it's not just hey we're we're figuring out how to talk to this organization it's every single domain every single domain interesting and what like you you were talking about kind of the workshop like what would you say is like crucial for people to not miss out on, right? Like, you know, everybody can run it a little differently. Everything can, can happen a little differently, but uh, what's the, the, what are some key points or what are some things where you've maybe even seen, Hey, like, don't do this. Here's an anti-pattern. Yeah. We want to get like the word data product, uh, the word data mesh uh, has multiple assumptions around it. Like, um generally we've seen people confuse data and data product that happens a lot um when we talk about data product hey do you mean this dashboard is my data product um and how is it different from data then right these are very basic questions um and needs to be addressed first because when we say we go about building data products to generate value for you it's really important to understand how it is different from traditional data engineering where you have a lot of data sets coming to you and you have to make use of it versus data as a product. So these are some of the subtle differences, like a mind shift that we want to take the audience through uh, so that the following uh, discussions are effective, right? Uh, when we go ahead and talk about, okay, now that we want to go down this path, you have this goal, uh, right? Uh, we follow this uh, lean value tree conceptual model very much, and it has been very effective. Uh, where you ask uh, this subdomain to really talk about their vision, and then break it down to: if you were to achieve those vision, what are the bets you want to make? What is that hypothesis you want to try out, right? And next, we say: okay, if this is the hypothesis, this is the bet you're making, and you want to experiment with it, what are the thin slice use cases we should pick up, right? Um, once you have those use cases, now let's talk about what is the as is uh, uh, state, right? Of uh, where you are and where you want to get to. Uh, you might identify like multiple use cases, but we need to really prioritize because this is a time bound workshop. We can't really get into everything, right? So we also spend time uh, Prioritize prioritizing these uh, use cases and pick one or two top and give them a methodology more than solving the use case, how to go about it, right? Like you pick the use case. Say, I want to optimize my uh, workspaces, uh, right? And uh, to do that, uh, these are the use cases that I want to address. And to get there, then go a level to a data. This is when we come to data as a product link. What data products can I build to serve those use cases, which ultimately ties back to a goal, right? So if they are able to visualize this from goals to the hypothesis use cases and the data product that 
uh, needs to be uh, implemented to get there that's when they can uh, envision the whole thing of the workshop right uh, we started here and now we are able to identify the data products that are crucial to be built next we do a technical uh, deep dive into it like what are the source systems right what is the best way to offer data to our consumers and what does everything in between look like uh, right then we are able to identify what kind of skill tooling um we need and that's when we identify the kind of teams we would need the seeding team who are doing the initial setup they are the first ones to go and crack uh, most of the unknowns right so what would such a team look like and uh, we see how we started with just talking about introducing data mesh all the way till identifying the team this is the journey that we take in these uh, workshops and it's a very time bound activity how long are these workshops because i mean it sounds like you're not doing the work in the workshop but you're you're setting it up and you're saying like hey let's constantly tie it back chris Haas was on from thoughtworks recently and he was talking about the lean value tree too and i hadn't ever, ever actually seen that I started looking into it and I was like, oh, this just makes sense. Like, this is just, this is just the way that you break down. What are we trying to do? What do we actually need to do to do what we're trying to do? And then let's break each of those down into component parts. And you may, you may end up having even like bets that are the same across different components that you're trying to do. And then you look for that reuse, but yeah, so much of that is, is, but um, how long are these workshops or how much time are people committing? And, and you said it's it's a small team. I mean, is this three people or is this 10 people in the domain? Uh, we need representative who can answer these questions, right? So if we get one or two, it's good enough. We, we don't want everybody to uh, be part of it, like from IT, who understand these systems that we're dealing with, uh, right? Business users who are actually going to be the consumers, right? So the one who understand the domain, IT business users have representation from there. Again, the approach we took is we are flexible with the schedule. It doesn't have to be um, one shot, like get everybody for like 10 days and do this. It's it, We have not done that. It doesn't really work best for everyone to keep aside everything that they're doing and come do this. We booked uh, uh, slots like twice uh, a week, uh, two to three hour slots. And whatever is flexible, right? Uh, that means the workshop will extend a bit, but everybody will get that kind of dedicated time slot and they'll get time to absorb these things because we're going to give them some questions to come back, uh, some answers that we're looking for. So it'll also give them some time to do that homework a little bit and come back and contribute more to the session. So all of that is there. But to put it high level, if we were looking at a dedicated time slot, it would be overall one week, uh, or four four to five days for Accelerate, then one to two weeks for Discovery. Uh, so what is the difference? Accelerate is where we give the introduction to Data Mesh and uh, give them this overview of what Data Mesh is, what it is not, uh, what you are really into, right? Mapping that to what they think uh, the organization wants uh, is doing, right? Uh, it might be similar and we map that uh, difference for them. Uh, the discovery workshop is where we start talking about the LVT and narrow down till data products, right? We deep dive further into technical bits, the product bits more in discovery. Once we have a finite set of data products and an identified use case, which we want to work towards, we go into an inception mode 
which is two to three weeks generally, uh, where we talk more about what will the backlog of the team look like? What is the constitution of team look like, right? Uh, what are some of the impediments we see before we get started? So this is really about talking about implementation uh, in thin slices, right? Uh, that is inception. So this is how it's broken down into accelerate discovery and inception, uh, each being uh, one to three weeks. Yeah, I, I, I think that's all awesome. I, I'd love to hear about kind of how that works when you're the first domain versus the second versus the third, because like when you're thinking about this, if I've already got a platform that I can leverage, great. But if I don't, and you're trying to also build the platform at the same time, or like, how does that kind of work as you're like, let's talk about the difference between bringing on your first domain team, maybe your second and your eighth or your ninth, right? Like, how does that work when somebody's really early versus uh, an organization where they're not quite so so early? Um, for organizations that that is into this for the very very first time, you're right. Uh, there there'll be this uh, initial bootstrapping of the platform, um, defining what a data product should look like, uh, what does a data product lifecycle look like, uh, what are these different roles, uh, product owner, uh, right? Um, what is the role that the product owner plays? Um, and these are like things that needs to be set uh, first, like right? Uh, but if you're a team that is doing this for the third or fourth time, some of these is already in place. Like there is a domain we can look up to and see how they are doing this, right? There is a product owner who's already playing a very active part in saying, this is what my data product should look like. These are the SLOs that the data product should adhere to, right? That clarity is there. So we have somebody to look up to uh, when we are doing it uh, for the third or fourth time. And also uh, when we get into the technical deep dive, when we do it for subsequent uh, teams, we have a reference and we do a gap analysis. Whereas when we start first, we, uh, we are able to take all the decisions boldly, right? But when we have something that is already in place and we have to reuse, right? Not reinvent. We do not want every domain to go and say, this is the plat This is how my platform should look like. So decentralization is for domains. Decentralization is not for the platforms. Yeah, and, and I've seen some, like uh, Pete Heinz-Strangholt has put out some content about, uh, you should give domains the freedom if they want to build their own platform. And I'm like, oh, okay, if they really need certain components and they really need to do things, but they absolutely must adhere, but you need to give them the easy path and you need to say like, this is what you should do. If you want to go do your own thing, I guess fine. <laughs> I mean, I, I know some people want to go do that themselves, but it, it just creates more chaos and confusion in most organizations as far as I've seen. Are you kind of seeing the same thing or are you, are you seeing domains want to create their own platform or are they just like, or, or are they good with using what already is there? And then you just work with them to kind of iterate that platform. So it also is meets more of their needs or it's more close to what they would want or like, how does that kind of conversation go as you're bringing somebody on that is like, okay, the platform already exists and it may not be exactly how I would have wanted it designed from scratch. Like, how does that conversation go? So the, I'll start with the, how we think about platform first, then this, this will naturally evolve uh, into, right? So um, a platform team looks at uh, offering capabilities uh, to data product teams, 
they are away from the domains right they do not understand what the domain needs and what value needs to be created but what they understand is there is a capability that this data product team is looking for and i need to provide it in the most easy way for them to uh, use it right this is the mindset that a platform team should have right how do they go about doing this they work with the product teams together uh, let's take an example this is the first product team we are right out of the workshop we know we have to build these data products now data product as an architectural quantum we understand that it should have its own life cycle right it should have its own code uh, infrastructure data storage like uh, so that the team can really be autonomous right um, with this in mind the platform and the product team should have this conversation saying the ideal state of data mesh looks like having the multi plane architecture right where you talk about data infrastructure plane experience plane and mesh supervision plane right there are three these three each has a different role um in uh, in the platform offering right do i have to start on all the three planes at once maybe not right let's take a step back and say how, what do i do to make this first data product team a success they want to build a data product to create value for their uh, business users this is the thin slice that they're looking for they're looking for a data product that can provide a data set that can be usable uh, maybe uh, via dashboards or via apis by business users so the first simple thing is create value right uh, create value that means get the data that is required serve it to the business users uh, second thing is how will the users trust our data so trustworthiness is what is the second thing we should look at right uh, be it quality of data freshness again conversation with the domain users help here right what makes the data quality good what according to, to according to you uh, will help you improve the trust uh, uh, that uh, you can use this data and be confident to share it um, with with others the next thing is you have this data product uh, you want to make it usable by more people so you make it discoverable right now you see how i'm building upon all the data product characteristics keeping in mind that what gives the most value to my consumers and not going about saying platform team you need to give me everything out of the box the moment i start building data product i want you to uh, enable me to make it discoverable um, uh give me a dashboard where i can monitor my data product uh, give me place where i can monitor data product uh, quality metrics uh, give me uh, observability that i need to have so that i can end to end visualize Th- that's not how it will work right that will just overwhelm and imp- add the cognitive uh, load on both the teams like a platform offering everything at once then the product team needs to adapt on how do i start using this uh this is something this is not a pattern that i have seen work uh, i've seen that when we start uh, building a data product it should be driven by a use case right then there is this motivation that i need to create value for someone right and then talk about to make this data product complete uh, make it have all of those characteristics that makes it fit well in the mesh how do i go about it one by one and then have that conversation with the platform saying this is what i'm looking for first so they can really prioritize that by doing this slowly the platform will recognize these are the reusable bits 
if a product team is publishing a data product to catalog what are they publishing and they need an easier way to do that right this is the bit they can identify as a reusable component that the platform can provide saying any data product team you have a data product with you this is what you need to do to make it available on the marketplace right so identifying this reusable bits but also working towards creating value not taking not making it a very big uh, agenda to build the all of the things at once uh, are are the two approaches that that i've seen and the one going thin slice works best so i mean you talked about that you kind of have to keep an eye out for the reusable parts but a lot of people have been talking about trying to do that from the start right and say like okay i'm trying to identify what is toil and what so that i can automate it and what shouldn't be or where where are the friction points so i mean do you have to wait until there are two, three, four data products that have been created before you start to even consider doing that? Or is there like, because what I'm trying to, to figure out is if you, if someone came to you and says, Hey, Manisha, I'm, I'm early. We're, we're just about to get started. And I have five domains that want to do this, but the first domain is okay. Being kind of the Guinea pig being the, the test case. But everybody else, I have to have this in such a, they're not mature enough to do this well without a lot of handholding. So how do I identify that stuff from the beginning? Like, is it that you'd say you, you just can't, you have to have seen it too many times before you can really start to do it? Or because pe- people are trying to, I mean, you know, everybody's trying to find their shortcuts. Everybody's trying to figure out how, <laughs> how can I put in the, the least amount of effort, which makes sense, right? But people are, are kind of struggling with what do I actually do here? Like, what should I be focused on specifically? Should I be focused on, um, you know, the user interface? Should I be focused on the storage mechanism? Should I be focused on, you know, X or what the blueprints and the SLAs and the defining, like, should I should I define what quality metrics we're going to track and those definitions, and then people say, "Here is my quality level according to those definitions." Like, what are the things that you think are really important early in that journey, versus those things where you go, "Eh, everybody's going to have pain with this, but we don't know how we want to actually, you know, automate this pain away, this friction away, this toil away until." We've seen it a few different times and the organization does things in its own way because every organization is different. Every platform is going to look different. Yeah. Um, to answer this, uh, there's also um, this uh, background that we need to have that when I started with this engagement, there were not many implementations to look up to. There, there were not many blueprints out there. When we talk about data product specification, we understand theoretically that a data product has input ports, output ports, control ports, and this is what it should look like, but what that it really means in a tangible form, right, um, was not there. There it made sense. Let's go step by step, right? Let's talk about data product, input ports, you need mechanisms to ingest data, output ports, How? what are the different form and shape you want to give the data to the consumer, and then build that these are the must-haves in a data product blueprint, a data product has these characteristics, so trustworthiness is a must. So what are the SLO, SLAs that a pro- product owner 
you discuss with and you make it part of your spec. What are the policies, data policies that you want to uh, bake it in your data product specifications so that uh, what personas have what level of access uh, when it comes to your data product, right? Uh, and then the next being what goes into the catalog ultimately? What is you? What information is usable, right? If somebody wants to come and show interest in my data product. Now, I'm able to tell you all of this in one go because I've spent time in building this uh, blueprint uh, over time, right? But if I were if I were placed in an engagement where I'm getting started, I am aware that these are the bits that are reusable. This is how we could start with our uh, data product blueprint. And these are the bits that uh, are common. And the, the really the data modeling, the data transformation that is very core and unique to every data product is what changes. Uh, the compute, the processing that goes into make this happen is still common. Everybody needs needs infrastructure, right? Uh, everybody needs storage. Everybody needs a CI/CD pipeline and a code repository. Those are the common platform uh, capabilities that everybody needs. But the bits that go into the data aspect of it, whereas how do I model this data? How do I transform this data to create value? That is different and unique for every data product, right? I know this because I've been through that journey. And if folks are new, they will learn by exploring this. And this is how I see it. Like if Manisha now goes into an engagement, will think about this differently versus um, somebody who started new where there were not many references available. Yeah. Well, or even now, right? Like that's the other thing of like, there are people that are trying to get going now and trying to understand that. Um, so like one thing you actually said in there is is one thing that a lot of people are really trying to figure out, which is within data mesh, we don't have a single enterprise data model, right? Like that's what's been one of the big, big bottlenecks. It's, it's you know, Jemak, uh, I was just reading the chapter today where she was talking about all this stuff, all the governance stuff is uh, the enemy of change, right? It, it makes it so that we can't change because it's not flexible enough. But the data modeling and things like that, people are looking for sample schemas, sample data models. Is that something that you found works? Is that maybe something that you found that works for the consumer aligned or the aggregate, but not the source aligned because the source aligned have to be different? Because people are trying to figure out how do I data model, especially you go into a domain where somebody, the people that you're working with in general, don't know how to model data, right? So you're saying, now I need you to be better at data modeling than what we were as an industry before at this kind of micro level, but that also fits into the macro overall enterprise like mesh level models or you know interoperability plane and things like that. So how are you working with, I mean, do you just kind of say the first couple of, of domains, it's okay, like whatever, we'll, we'll kind of do one-to-one you know, integration instead of trying to do it at the standards level? How has that worked? Um... So each data product should have its independence on how they think about data modeling, for sure, right? We cannot create a centralized model and say, this is what you have to. It will slow them down. Uh, first is they need to learn this modeling technique. Second, they'll have to start thinking, how do I retrofit into my domain, right? That, that's two levels of complexity there. Uh, if we let it organically evolve within domain, there are multiple modeling techniques, right? 
choose what makes sense for you, but ensure that when you make this data set available to your consumers, there is a unique identifier that uh, I can use it to correlate with another data product. We call them business keys. Uh, we call them just unique data product identifiers, if, if, if you may. Uh, right. So when we talk about contracts between data products, there are certain standardization that needs to be in place. That if I'm talking about portfolio, uh, product portfolio data product, I am talking about products, right? So product is my uh, business key here. I'll have a product ID. If there is a product cost data product, which talks about for me to build this data product, uh, sorry, product, I am incurring this cost. I'll be able to correlate uh, the cost and the portfolio information because my product, the business key is what is common. So every data product should say what is that unique um, asset uh, or an element. Maybe I'm not using the right word, but what is makes the data product unique? What does it identify in a business scenario? Yeah. And then only it is possible to correlate with other data products. If I call product something else and uh, the other domain calls it something else, fine. But when you want to correlate, there is this, these product owners will talk about the same thing, but not know that both of them are essentially products. So when you expose the business keys, like have the metadata associated with saying, this is the business key and uh, this is what it means. Uh, that's that will make the interoperability easier and bring in some form of standardization. Again, this doesn't happen day one. When you build a couple of data products, you realize that, okay, if I need to correlate, my consumers need to know what I'm actually offering. Well, yeah, and, and um, uh, Jill Maffeo at Vista talked about that, you know, you can have that where two people are talking about the same thing and using different words or two people are using the same words and meaning completely different things, and then people try and cross-correlate. But I guess my question is, are you finding that you that you have as, as kind of that centralized platform team that you're providing sample data models where, or, or is it that every use case is so custom that you go, no, 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 we don't want to create that because people are trying to get to, how do I just get some data into somebody's hands, right? And shortening that life cycle where it's still to at least get to your minimum viable, you know, data product, are you finding those types of shortcuts? Or are you finding those things are bad? Because I, I could see it being going either way, right? <laughs> like I could see it being, okay, this gets teams that don't really know how to data model. It gets them comfortable. It gets some data out there. Most of the stuff kind of still fits what your enterprise data model would be because most of the stuff isn't the problem. It's the things that change really frequently and are, are very complex are the ones that wouldn't fit an enterprise data model anyway. So we have these sample data models where we don't require everybody to comply with it, but we still offer it because it's an easy path. Or are you finding, because I, I don't know the answer here and I've been trying to poke at this to, with a lot of people because I think conceptually that makes sense, but I could also see it being a terrible, terrible idea because then everybody just goes the easy path and then you you lose the actual context of what you're trying to do and then you don't actually serve your freaking use case, right? And so like, what are you seeing there or is there not, is, there, is it really, really tough because it's very so individually contextualized or like... 
I'm just trying to figure out like how people can start to think about that, especially when you go to these domains that aren't that complex and aren't that data fluent. Like, can you give them something that's going to make it real easy for them to get something out the door? Yeah, I've seen uh, data model samples or automations that uh, exist uh, as a platform offering where uh, folks can uh, just key in saying, this is my business key. These are my columns and just run that automation and it spits out a relationship model or it spits out uh, some uh, thing that you can run and create your uh, data models. They exist, but it should be taken with a pinch of salt saying, I have this, but does it really work for me? Do I really have to complicate it to that data model? Because just because it exists, uh, does it gives me give me that uh, benefit of uh, uh, improving my access uh, performance, right? Read performance, write performance. Think about really the intent of this modeling uh, and then pick it up. But some uh, automations or some reference data model automations have existed as part of platform capability. But data product teams should be aware of when they use it, what they take uh, it with, right? Yeah, it's, I could see it being a, a very much a, a double-edged sword of, yeah, if you're not mature enough that to really do a sample a, a data model, you, then you just use this thing and you're like, yeah. it makes it even worse and you can't actually, okay, that's it's been a question that's been on my mind yeah. for, for a long time. So, so we've been talking a lot about um, kind of getting started and, and doing kind of working with these domains, bringing them on board. Um, do you have anything before we jump into the, the, you know, data product developer experience, do you have any like kind of tips or tricks or like specific advice for getting a domain on board, whether that's buy-in or that's kind of working with them? Is there anything specific where you were like, this thing surprised me, or this thing has been the thing that's been our secret sauce and I wouldn't have expected it, or or this thing just keeps coming up every single time, so just do this. Like, don't don't hurt yourself, just do this one thing. Um, the constitution of the team, uh, as towards the end of the workshop, we are kind of aware the kind of uh, folks we are looking into. Like, if the data platform is mature, right, then we don't need that skilled uh, say infra consultants or data engineer out there to come and build the data product for us. But if you are in initial phases where we need to explore these capabilities together as platform and product team, we do need some key people in the team, right? And uh, that's how I've seen like the seeding team for any organization of data products are somebody who can also try to think about how to generalize this. If I am a product team and I've cracked it how I want to publish data to catalog, even before the platform did, I should think about how I can make it uh, available and uh, talk, have this conversation with the platform team saying, this is how I've done it. Can you think about generalizing this? That maturity in the product teams are important because that's where uh, the idea kicks in, right? Platform team is a step two where product team tells them what is really needed, but platform team is first front facing. They really know most of the time. So I've seen that the seeding team, the first teams should have some key people in it who can really also do some capabilities where they don't really exist in some form and then generalize it by pairing with the platform team later. But the following teams where the platform has evolved, you have an interface where you interact with this and build, making most parts of uh, bootstrapping and uh, running your data product simpler 
there you don't need such skill people whereas you need people who can understand data and create value uh, uh, modeling aspect transformation because that will be existing always every data product is unique but the bits were infrastructure uh, or common capabilities that would have evolved over time so then you don't need such skilled uh, folks on the team okay yeah that makes sense and so uh, like with within that i think it does transition well into that kind of develop that uh, data product developer experience about like when you're starting out how good does it have to be like what should the developer take care of we were talking about this this is one thing that i kind of am pushing back on i'm writing a thing with around max book and I'm pushing back on some of the stuff she's saying because it seems like the platform should be all the magic, right? It should just be able to take care of everything for us. And, you know, wouldn't that be nice if that were the case? And, you know, hopefully she can build that with with her company and stuff like that. But it's not the case right now. And so, like, trying to figure out what's on the data product developer, what's on the platform, how do we make it so it's easy on the data product developer? How do we make it so that we don't try to boil the ocean, try to save the world with the data product instead of get to value and then learn and get better. But like, how do we like, I guess I'm just asking all of the questions. So let's, let's start with the, what are your thoughts on and kind of as it evolves as well, your platform evolves, what should be on the data product developer? What should be on the platform? And maybe even how do you, how do you think about exposing that stuff that should be on the platform so that the data product developers can make their choices and that it's not all just automatic magic because that's not really going to work for anybody. Let's talk about the uh, data infrastructure playing first, right? For me to really get started and do something, I need a code repository. I need a CI/CD pipeline. I need infrastructure where I do my compute and storage. This is the infrastructure plane. I can't do anything without that, right? I, I as in the data product team, right? This is clearly a responsibility of a platform because a data product team should not reinvent the infrastructure over and over. That complexity should be offloaded. Why we are doing this? We want to make the data product uh, creation time shorter and shorter, right? Uh, we want uh, we want the data product team to really focus on building the right data product to create value and not so much on these repeatable infrastructural aspects. So this is very clear that the infrastructure bit uh, goes clearly uh, under the uh, un- under the umbrella of the platform team, right? Um, now, uh, let's take an example. We have a platform and we have this ca- uh, infrastructure in place. Now, the capabilities, right? Infrastructure is one part of it. Next is the capability, like, if I, if a data product team needs to publish the data product to a catalog, what am I looking for? I'm looking for an interface where I can say, this is my data product. I want to just make it available on the marketplace. Now, the platform sees this as a capability, right? I need to provide a capability to product teams to publish their data product metadata to catalog, right? Now, these capabilities are what is also a platform responsibilities because once created, it is reusable by product teams. Um, Now, uh, I want to take a step back and talk about a very important thing that uh, uh, we had to do to get this right is identifying the boundaries uh, for each data product uh, on the platform at all levels. 
this is interesting because when you talk about compute, you need a dedicated compute for your data product team. When you talk about storage, you need maybe if you're using uh, an RDBMS, say, to store your data, you need a dedicated schema for your uh, data product. You're seeing the isolations or the tenancy patterns, if you may call, at each level, data, infrastructure that needs to exist so that there is no uh, collision between the product teams, right? If I need a compute resource to make my data product happen, somebody, some other data product team cannot use the same resource. Then I lose that uh, uh, being autonomous aspect of a data product team, right? I need to have my architectural quantum. That thought process needs to exist. There can't be like these managed capabilities that just are present in the platform and everybody is using it. This data product boundary that we are saying should exist at all levels. If, say, for example, uh, the capability we were talking about of publishing data product to catalog, I need to have a dedicated namespace on the marketplace saying, this is where all the data products of my domain will go sit, right? No other data products will come there because it doesn't make sense for them to be listed under this domain category. If I'm talking about service level objectives, I have a namespace on my monitoring dashboard saying all the monitors that are associated with this data product, which track my SLOs, fit under this namespace. So that domain boundary that we talk in uh, the uh, business and functional side of things should also exist uh, on the platform, right? So these boundaries really help to uh, remove that friction that can happen between the product teams, make them autonomous, make the data product specification also simple. Uh, so this aspect is really important. We don't think of it upfront, but if you think of it upfront, it, it naturally will evolve into what a unit of data product will look like and what that specification will look like. So how does that play? Well, I've got two questions here. One is uh, I've asked people on this and I've never gotten anything crisp. So I'm not expecting you to all of a sudden be the the single person who can a- answer this question. But what is the definition of a data product? That's one thing that we can talk about because people out there, uh, I the number of people that I've talked to who are still extremely frustrated because when they ask that question, they can't get of a crisp, clean answer. And I've asked companies to publish a sample data product or a couple of sample data products, and that that still doesn't happen. But so there's that. But the other aspect is, so you're talking about like, we need to have this be something that is completely isolated and it's very important, but how do we think about actually putting a simple experience where they maybe don't even have to care. Does the developer yeah. have to care about that or not? But like th- those two things, whichever one you want to go into or both, but yeah. Developer need not care about these isolations, right? This is more for the platform. Imagine I'm a platform team and there are end data product teams. If I start giving them shared resources and shared infrastructure, it will be hard for them to scale, debug, etc. So these are my worries as a platform. How do I make individual data product journeys autonomous for them, scalable for them? These are the concerns that a platform team should think about. Uh, Another thing, the next step, once the platform knows this is the MVP that I need to start working on, these are the kind of boundaries I need to have to make the data product teams autonomous. The next thing is the interface. 
I have these capabilities. What interface do I offer? How will the data product teams interact uh, with the platform? There are multiple versions I've seen. I've seen there is a self-service portal where um, I go and raise a ticket saying I want to create a data product. An outcome of that is a specification, right? Uh, a code repository uh, with a sample data product specification saying this is what is out of the box. It is now your responsibility, the product team's responsibility to modify it, to make it specific to your data product, right? This is one kind of interface where there is a little bit of manual intervention, right? That I am making a request and somebody fulfills it, right? It's, it's more of a ticket based. The more uh, lesser uh, manual is when you go uh, maybe do pipeline as code, right? Where you get the CI/CD templates out of the box and the data product teams can reuse those templates uh, and change the bits that are specific to them. For example, uh, creating infrastructure, uh, uh, creating a space in the catalog for me to publish the data product, etc. is out of the box. What goes into the catalog, uh, what transformation or data modeling I need to do, the core of transformation is my responsibility as a data product team. Uh, and that I will change and deploy. Right From there, I take the ownership. But the bits that are common is out of the box made available by the platform. That's one approach, pipeline as, using pipeline as code to make this automation happen. Third, I've seen which we are trying internally in one of our internal implementations at the company is use an API-based approach where I interact with the platform as APIs, right? Like uh, I call a product uh, API saying create data product and I give a spec to it. Or I say uh, view data product where I get to see all the details of a data product. I want to update some aspect of a data product. So I use an update API uh, to do that. So that's an API interface. So I have seen several interfaces uh, that exist. The whole uh, uh, intention of having that is how can I make a data product not aware of the nitty gritties and low level details, give them those abstractions which they can use to build their data products easily, right? Uh, that's the intention. There are mel multiple ways to get there. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah, I mean, Jamak and, and uh, the book and stuff that she's talking about is the more that we can get it so that people can do the work instead of deal with the tools. Like, you know, these developers, they don't, they don't want to have to care about this stuff, right? You don't want to have to learn how the tool works to be able to, to leverage it. That's not... You know, like I don't, you know, I'm making dinner or whatever, opening a can of, of something. I don't have to understand exactly how the can opener works. I just have to understand how it interacts with what I do, right? I don't have to understand how the stovetop induction heat works. I just get that it does heating and I put my pan on it and I, you know, like whatever. So, yeah, I, I totally get that, but it's still it's still something a lot of people struggle with. Um, so, you know, if someone were to come to you and say, "What are the lessons that you would take from this?" of like building a platform, I'm early in my journey. You're trying to go like you're you're taking somebody who's like I'm just starting out on on the journey, whether they're you know inside ThoughtWorks or whatever. But somebody's coming to you and saying. Manisha, help me. Like, what are the things that you would reflect back on and make sure that they're kind of aware of how to, how to get started, how to keep going? Like, how can you evolve off existing platform and capabilities? Like, 
how does that all work? Um, you know, and one thing that I've started to to try and say is the word platform when we talk data mesh actually is the singular and the plural because there are multiple platforms, there are multiple services that get offered. It doesn't matter if it's a single code base for a single platform or if you've got a couple of different platforms. The people that are accessing it don't care. So that, that's just kind of one thing that that's coming up to, to me. But like what how do I get started? And then we can get into how do I get going and like, or how do I keep going? Sure. Um, coming to the basics of data product, I need to build data product, right? Start thinking about when I talk about data product, what I really mean, right? Um, try to nail down the specification. It might not be the best form at first, but come up with what you think mentally, what a data product is, right? Uh, whatever you understand today, uh, Base anybody who reads uh, any any bit of information on data mesh can understand that a data product gets data from certain uh, sources and they are source aligned data products and something that is customer facing is customer aligned data products. Now these are all data products, right? Though there are these source and consumer aligned, there is something common in all of them, which is which is what makes it a data product. For example, every data product belongs to a domain that is coming out of the principles itself. That means I need data product teams associated close to a domain. I need to identify data products with a domain. So that's my first thing I need to look for. Second is what are my input and output ports? Understand value first, right? That's what makes it data as a product. So start talking about what are the standard consumption or output ports that I need to provide uh, to my users to make it easy for them, to create value for them. And input ports will vary. If you're a source-oriented data product, it could come from operational systems. If you're a consumer-oriented data product, it would come with other data products. That, that's fine. That we can figure out over the time. What is next? Uh, start thinking about data product characteristics, right? Um, if you want to make your data product trustworthy, try to understand what are the SLO, SLIs that you need to adhere to. This, you don't have to do alone. You do it with your product owner and business users. Right, run it with them that, hey, I'm giving you this data product. How fresh you want this data to be? Uh, what does completeness mean to you? How can I bake that into uh, my data product and give you a KPI every time you look at this and say, yes, this data product is checked for completeness, right? Because trustworthiness is the base of my data product being democratized and usable across the mesh. If I can't establish trustworthiness, it won't be usable. And the whole point of data product creating value uh, should be the main uh, idea, right? Next, uh, discoverability, right? Think about discoverability and say data product needs to be discoverable. What metadata needs to go in? What kind of users are interested in what? Now, a business user might not be so much interested into what columns are there in my data product, but they would be interested in what is the role of this data product? How does it fit in my entire um, organization, uh, right? Um, but a data product owner would be interested into a little more low-level details, like what are the SLO, SLIs? Uh, is my data product fit? Um, so uh, these are the aspects, right? And then there are little more technical aspects saying, what are the out-of-the-box roles I need to create for my data product? 
for it to uh, have those roles that anybody can get access to my data product easily. That means every data product should have a reporting role, for example, where anybody can use it and be part of it and start using my data product. How do I make the consumption journey of my data product easy? Right. So you see how I'm going about it. I'm starting with what is the crux, right? And slowly expanding my boundary to what a business user would need, what a product owner would need. And it naturally fits into the spec slowly. And this is the journey that I've seen we take initially. But now there are examples out there. uh, Like I've explained this in my article as well. The blueprint that we have come up with has all of this in place right, that uh, the data product spec should minimum talk about the data set, ports, domain, uh, service level assets. Uh, How do I share my data? What what does data sharing look like, Um, right? That agreement that I want to put out there saying anybody who wants access to my data product, you have to go and request for this role. And that's all. The product owner will approve it. This is the journey that goes into. So I'm going to put that out there saying, if somebody wants to use this data product, go about doing this. So these are all uh, the kind of offering we need to make when it comes to a data product. Having understood what we want to achieve, coming back and seeing what should be at the platform and what should be with the product team is step two, right? And don't build everything at first. Now we talk about the three planes at first, right? We can build some parts of all the three planes Uh, We took that uh, approach, for example. Uh, We said, let's uh, make our data products discoverable, right? That's a capability. And to make that happen, we need infrastructure. That means we need a managed service or something out of the box or something built in-house for the catalog, right? Now, infrastructure for the catalog, a capability to make this happen. And we also built a dashboard where we say, any data products that's discoverable, it should show a check on my supervision plane saying, yes, there is an existence of this data product on the catalog. So my characteristics of discoverability is checked, right? In this way, if you imagine, I'm building a thin slice of uh, uh, bits uh, of my platform across all the three planes. Uh, I have touched upon mesh experience where I'm validating that are my data products discoverable at the mesh. At the capability, I'm offering a capability. At infra, I have infra associated with it. You could take a thin slice approach for all of the characteristics this way. Whereas, uh, you know why you're you're building something because you want to, at the supervision level, uh, you think that these are the characteristics that will benefit at an org level, right? And then work backwards into making that happen. So that approach has also worked. Very interesting. And, And one thing that you were kind of talking about um, uh, the access control. This is something that I've kind of pushed back on as well of like, you, you said you don't have to build everything up front, but then like people think I need to have automated access control and I need to do this. And then you also talked about everybody should be able to get access to my data product, which to me is actually incorrect. There are certain data products that literally are completely locked down. Like people can get information that they exist and information about it, but not actually get access. And I, I, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth whether you were saying that or not. But like, I'm finding that some people have data products that are that even they can't let anybody know that they exist because of weird regulatory and weird things. And you don't really want that from a cultural standpoint. You want to be able to share that this information exists. Everybody should know that this exists and all that stuff. But, you know, I mean, and then you start to think about like 
you know, government agencies and need to know yeah, and all that yeah. fun stuff. But, but like, what are you seeing is, is how people are doing that access control early because people are thinking they have to do this like crazy automated access control. You know, um, the folks at Orpheum that were on, which I think was episode like 121 or so, they were talking about, they tried to build out like this completely automated access control. And it was just this massive overhead versus just quick access granting when somebody asked and they're a 250 person company, so they don't need that, that scale. But like, what, what is good enough when you're starting? What is okay? How, and, and how do you think about that? Hey, somebody can get, I can give everybody access to this part of this data product, but this other part, that's sensitive information. That's PII. That's things like that. Like, how are you thinking about that conversation? Because people get <laughs> overly focused on trying to solve all of the problems as if they're at this massive, massive scale at the very start. And like, how do you think about that aspect specifically? So there are two bits there. One is the access to the data product. The other is the sensitivity of the data within it, right? Compliance regulations that you were talking about. There are two different things. Uh, when we do the workshops towards the end, we kind of get a picture of, is this domain catering to sensitive data? Uh, are they really focused on uh, having a capability where saying, for example, we are in a finance domain, the cost information is definitely critical, right? Um, and uh, it is just common sense to think that uh, we do not want everybody to uh, know these uh, sensitive cost information uh, that exist, Right. When I'm part of the domain, that's the best part of being close to the domain. I get this idea way before, uh, before I start building my data products because I'm having those conversations. I, I hear them say it's sensitive. I hear them say that uh, 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 the team has to go through this certification to get access to this data product. Right? You have to be at this level in the organization to get access. Those, when you hear, you come to know that, is this the time to... Do, do this, right? If you are starting with a domain where you have to deal with this, then this will become your concern. Uh, it will no, no longer be like make the data available, but also it will become make the data available in a secure and safe uh, manner, right? It becomes your first, uh, it should be in your first set of things that you deliver that only privileged users should have access to this data. This could be at an access policy level. This could be some tagging that you build uh, along with your data and do some policy as code automation saying if a user requests and I have these tags available. So automations are possible, but when to do it really depends on is this the need of the art. And fortunately, in the journey that I've taken, it came secondary. Like the first few domains were not really focused on the sensitivity of the data. But it does not mean uh, we went about and said, public access to data products, right? Anybody can just go click there and they have access to their data product. We still had an intervention of product owner. Reason being, we felt that initially it's good to have dialogue with the product owner to let the uh, consumers come and tell them that you have this data product, but you are refreshing this um, maybe monthly. I'm looking at a, a daily refresh of this data. Can you make that happen? Can you change the granularity of your data product? That conversation is important. That's what the data product owner is there for. Uh, to take this, does this make sense to add, add this in my backlog? 
right and build this will be will both the benefit the domain team benefit uh, from it right these conversations can only happen when the product owner knows the kind of users that are re- uh, requesting for the data product uh, the product owner is kind of owning right this this is an uh, good thing that can happen with a um, uh, data product having the control to provide access or not and that doesn't have to be a long round process it's just a click of a button there'll be a notification to the product owner and he can say yes i would like this person to have access to my data product because i understand the intention that this data product consumer uh, comes with this this has been uh, one thing as well i i did a recent mesh musing on um that i think it's it's a pattern that i or it's it's something that i think is against the grain for a lot of po- people but i say that you know the first time you you access a, a thing you don't have to necessarily register your use case but if you're a regular consumer, you must register your use case with the producer. And there's a lot of reasons for this. But a big one is that then they can have that product mindset and go, oh, I know what this person is trying to achieve. And you can have that ongoing conversation about, are you achieving what you want from this? Or, hey, we figured this thing out. Let me, let's talk about this with your use case. You should actually, we're going to add these additional columns or, you know, somebody says, oh, we're actually transforming this column that you've put in here. And you're like, you're just transforming it back to raw state. Why don't I just put raw state in as well as the transform state? Cause this other consumer uses that transformed column, but you're just undoing the work that I've done when I could just drop in that, like just those little conversations or especially like um, external data and, hey, we're, we're using an external data provider and that data that's really crucial to your use case is going away. So it's not just I'm going to uh, version it and you're kind of screwed. It's like, let's talk about this or, you know, let's talk with that vendor. Let's both go to that vendor and not just say, you know, the the new version will come out in a month and you'll lose this column. And they're like, but, but that destroys my use case. It's like, let's talk about that, actually have that relationship to drive towards value. So I'm not, I'm not consuming your data. I'm consuming your information to drive value. And then it's not about the data. It's about the value and working backwards into drive. So yeah, I, a lot of what you're saying there is very, <laughs> it just keeps coming through all of these conversations more and more. So um so I, I want to give you some space to react to that, but but I I want to wrap up as well because we're we're um, you know over an hour now, which is is awesome. But um, about the the data product lifecycle, so I want to give you space to react to that kind of thing that I just said. But also I want to get your kind of how do people what would be your your initial recommendations for people to actually people when we've managed data, it has been a project, it's been an asset, it's been a, I do the thing and I am done versus the product and like, how are you seeing people understand the life cycle? So data product life cycle, like you said, is long running and data product teams are long running for the reason that it continuously creates value. Uh, and the value is closely associated to the product, right? And it's not like a data set that just exists and some user is someday going to use it or not. Right, we are moving away from that mindset to more uh, value-focused mindset, and the reason for these data product teams to keep uh, existing is not to just focus on one data product, but to build more and more data products for the domain as the use cases evolve. Also, uh, 
data product is a living entity right it is giving you uh, value it is giving you operational metrics of how it is behaving uh, the if you if you can call it a heartbeat right uh, what is the health of my data product we talk about such things when we talk about data product uh, the quality aspect of it is it up and running so we we have all those kpis so we treat it as a living entity uh, in mesh right now there are different phases that a data product goes through uh, starting from the bootstrap to being live in production to finally retiring the data product now i've i'm yet to be in the journey for so long to see a data product retire retiring happen there could be multiple reasons for it like you have a new new operational system introduced um which does the same thing that uh, the older operational system used to do so it is being deprecated so data product built bases the source of an older ingestion older source no longer exists that that could be one reason second could be uh, the focus of the organization has changed and they no, no longer see value in this data product then it it only makes sense to uh, not have those resources being utilized where nobody is using look at the consumption metrics of your data product and take steps in retiring if it's no longer being used have those conversation with the product owner so all i'm trying to say is there are different phases that a product goes through bootstrap uh, being live in production and finally retiring in each of this there is an interaction between a product and a platform in the bootstrap phase i say i am a new uh, team uh, in this domain i need you to give me infrastructure capability with proper isolation of boundaries that we spoke about earlier an interface where i can talk to you about my requests right and use the capabilities i need this when i bootstrap when i deploy i need the promise that you made during the bootstrap that th- this is the infrastructure this is the ci cd and this is the storage that you promised continues to exist and i take that in confidence and deploy my pipelines right uh, push my metrics Uh, and keep keep it running right the data product is out there and it's used by my users i'm able to publish my output ports so that's where it is live right and the finally the retire phase we just spoke of so these stages are true for any data product and it is it can be as generalized as i've also mentioned in my article you can please add them in the show notes uh, i've written a sequence diagram of interaction between the product and platform and explained each of the stages in detail How do you think about that product life cycle in regards to the consumers and that conversation with them as to, you know, and push and pull, right? We we were talking about this a little bit of am I waiting for someone to come and tell me what they need or am I adding something and or or asking somebody should I be adding this, you know, because the use case evolves but like that communication can get a little bit muddy when you're trying to move it back into the source systems and how that that's going to go, you know, somebody has captured a lot of the value but how do we get to incremental further value or somebody is coming along and saying okay, um I have a new use case I want to use what you've already created like we I want you to evolve it like how are you seeing that actually happen in the real world It is both ways um but it starts from the consumer uh, always like uh, it is easier to start by understanding what the consumer needs build something and then in the process we learn more about the domain we say that maybe adding this attribute gives you this more insight would you be interested have this conversation with the product owner and they can further talk to business users and say yes it makes sense 
currently what you're looking it is a more a batch time uh, dashboarding as uh, traditional dashboard or reporting would you want us to add more intelligence to it would you want us to run some predictions something that over time will benefit you does it make sense right it is both ways right if we see opportunity which will add value to our users we can initiate those conversation with product owners and we sometimes are able to do that because we are working in a space which is closer to the domain that that is what is enabling us right to do that um and it happens via the product owner uh, it works best if it happens via the product owner yeah i, I just had uh, guy taylor on recently and he was talking about like historically we've gone and tried to beat up the the producers about you know you need to give us the data you need to give us the data and he's like we need to put responsibilities on the consumers to freaking communicate to actually go and say what do you want why do you want what do you actually need like don't give me requirements cuz your requirements are wrong you you're telling me you need it in real time and you need it you know on a, a 4 hour delay not not on a 48 hour delay but you don't definitely need it real time and and all of that cuz i think um yeah i think that evolution of of data products is is really crucial and and i'm i'm kind of uh, something that chris haas had talked about that i hadn't really thought about was like every domain that you're going into the first user of the the data mesh or the the use case should be within the the same domain because people have been thinking about how do i get data from other domains instead of how do we up level a domain who then they're like, I see the value of data. I see the value of owning this. And it's much easier when somebody does come to me with that request. But a lot of domains think that they're highly capable and they're not actually. And yeah. So anyway, whole a whole other conversation that we could go down for another hour, but we don't need to go there. But um, we have covered a whole heck of a lot of things. Um, is there anything we didn't cover that you'd like to or any kind of point you'd like to wrap up about like in any button you'd kind of want to put on the end of the episode? Sure, I, I can do that. Just on the last point, right? When we say uh, talking to business users uh, and making them tell us concretely what we want, it's more of a skill. I say talk in their language, right? Uh, talk to something. Don't ask them how fresh my uh, how how often do I refresh. Tell them uh, who are the business users and in the uh, business process, what's really happening? Uh, who is that user who's actually taking an action? Uh, by looking at this data, right? And those insights will naturally come in. Uh, I've uh, been in a couple of discoveries and I've changed my approach to asking a more technical question to a business user than phrasing in their language and the answers come naturally. Uh, just, just what I learned over, over time. Uh, to wrap it up, Scott, uh, a couple of key takeaways is uh, it is essential to invest into building a streamlined developer experience. Uh, for the data product teams to be autonomous and scalable. And it is a joint responsibility of platform and product team to understand their responsibilities and provide an interface uh, so that uh, it can be built uh, with less skilled uh, uh, devs uh, and built faster and keep the repeatable things work for entire organization. Uh, and th this is what we were talking at the core, right? That what is the importance of having a streamlined developer experience and uh, to know more about um, my journey in defining a streamlined developer experience, I've written two pieces out there, which you will add it uh, in, your, in your show notes. And I'm happy to talk about uh, folks who are in this journey, who are trying to identify what a data product spec looks like, 
um, and how complete it needs to be and where do I start and how do I take it from there, both from product and platform point of view, happy to discuss and learn uh, from the community as well. So, yeah, and that's that's kind of the the final question of is uh, where where do you want people following up? Anything specific? You, you kind of mentioned that. Is there anything specific else that you'd want people following up or where to follow up with you? I'm active on LinkedIn. Recently, I've started talking about data mesh uh, bits that I've uh, from my engagement I'm learning. I'm going to post them on LinkedIn uh, frequently. So LinkedIn is the place where I'm currently active. So. Okay. And we'll drop a link to your profile in the show notes as, as per usual. So, uh, well, Manisha, thank you so much for spending the time here with me today. And as well, thank you everyone out there for listening. Thank you, Scott. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Manisha Jane, data engineer at ThoughtWorks. You can find a link to her LinkedIn, as well as two blog posts she wrote on streamlining the data mesh developer experience in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Datastax, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information-as-a-service firm. Our offerings are affordable, and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.